Coming to you live from Industrious in downtown Seattle. I'm Pete Carroll. And I'm Audrey Cavanessia. And this is Amplify Voices, Conversations from the Heart, a podcast where our goal is to really, truly listen. We're inviting some of the most inspiring thinkers, dreamers, and change makers alive today to come on in and speak their truth. To speak what's on their heart. Everyone's got a story to tell. We're all these complex, multifaceted beings, and we have so much to contribute. But being truly seen and heard for who you are, that's rare. As we like to say, we see you, we hear you, and we love you. Welcome to Amplify Voices. Let's meet our guest. Greg Cunningham is a Senior Executive Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at U.S. Bank. He's the first African-American to serve on the company's management committee and a dedicated advocate for equity and inclusion. He envisions a world where diversity officers will no longer be necessary. In the meantime, he brings his whole self to the job and has helped dramatically increase U.S. Bank's investments in opportunities for all both within the company and in communities of color across the country. In early 2021, the company announced the U.S. Bank Access Commitment, a large-scale effort to help shrink the racial wealth gap through targeted investments in, for example, black entrepreneurs and micro-businesses owned by women of color. Greg also serves on the board of directors of the United Negro College Fund, a nonprofit organization that provides scholarships for over 10,000 students a year and supports historically black colleges and universities. He is a member of the CNBC Workforce Executive Council and speaks often and eloquently about what inclusion really means, offering his expertise to a wide range of media outlets and organizations. We all win when we all win, he says. We're so excited for you to hear this conversation with Greg Cunningham. Greg, I hear you guys have done a, quite a few podcasts. I think that's awesome. We have, Audrey. We have a, a podcast called The Real Good Podcast, and I think we're about to enter season three. So we've done two wow. seasons of podcasts wow. on Great. everything from social justice to private equity, investing, and, you know, most of it, of course, over the last year has really been about um, a lot of our social justice efforts, and we've brought a lot of guests on to that podcast. So it's been really fun for me to really get to use that medium to talk about what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know for Coach and I, we're, we were really, we were talking about you yesterday, and we were so excited and inspired to have this conversation because... Just a little step back. So, you know, our podcast, Amplify Voices, and tagline is Conversations from the Heart. And what is really important and compelling for us is really to relate to each and every human being as their full self in the basis and the foundation of their humanity. And that immediately gives rise to so many things. How we listen, you know, the, the space that you grant people to really get them, to really see them, to really hear them to relate to people beyond titles, beyond, you know, any kind of uh, um, uh, uh, expectation or something that's been passed along, but to see the whole person. So we, we were very inspired just being able to have this dialogue with you because I believe you, um, 
fit in the same world and see the world the same that we do is that people are more than their resumes. They're yes. more than just that one position they have. There is a purpose and a passion and so much about a human being. And we really believe that if you ask questions yeah. beyond the norm, if you start to really look for I mean, it's like the thing, you'll, you'll always find what you're looking for. You just have to keep looking for it, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. That if we ask enough questions, what will, what will emerge is that person, like the core yeah. and the soul of who they are. And I, I'm speaking for myself, because obviously with Coach, he inherently being in sports has been the leader in a very diverse uh, team of people. Yeah. In, for me, in the business world, that's not inherent. Right. It's something that I've stood for and, and fought for and inspired for and informed for and, and all of those things that, that I needed to do. So I, I definitely tell people all the, the time, I hope and wish I, in my lifetime, I reach the day where I don't have to talk about diversity and inclusion anymore, <laughs> where we can just talk about hearts and souls and passion and accomplishment and yes. performance and all of that. I'd love that. But for now, like everything that you want to build in the world, there needs to be yeah. the existent structure of keeping something alive until it's realized, until yeah. it's completely built, until we win at things. So I just wanted to say that to you because I wanted you to know how much it meant to us oh. to, to engage in this conversation, how inspired we were when we read through your bio and all the exciting things that you've been standing for and that the company is standing for. And we are so deeply passionate about this subject matter oh. and to learn really a lot from you today. Well, as am I and Audrey, that's very kind of you and uh, we can get into it however you want. But I think the, the thing that, that you said that really resonated with me is and what's really cool about what's happening here at the bank is we actually are beginning to engage as first names and not as titles. And I tell this story all the time. The day after um, George Floyd was murdered here in Minneapolis, my CEO called me and asked me what we should do and what he should do. And I'll give you the short version of the story, which is, you know, over the course of what I'm sure he probably expected to be a 10-minute conversation, ended up being about 45 minutes of us just sort of talking about, you know, our own lived experiences. And by the end of that telephone call, you know, it was no longer the chief diversity officer and the chief executive officer talking. It was it was Greg and Andy having a conversation and getting to know each other as people. And he shares that story often too about his own personal journey around these issues of social justice and how much he's learned. And since that time, you know, ended up promoting the, the chief diversity role, meaning me, you know, to the managing committee of the organization, reporting directly to him, the CEO. And I share that not to celebrate anything about me personally, as much as how important it was for the organization that he send that kind of message that this is so important, I'm gonna elevate it to the highest rank to the C-suite of the organization, reporting directly to him. And this pivot that we've made as an organization of moving past, which you said so beautifully, moving past titles to first names. And I think that's how we begin to accelerate progress in this space. 
You know, it's it's really it's so important for us to continue to seek out people that are at the cutting edge as you guys are, and 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 to, just to see how it's going and see how the progress is being made, and uh, you know how you're being accepted, and what is, what are who are the resistors, and what are the resistance, what is it like, yeah. you know, and uh, if you could kind of give us the, what what the experience has been like as you guys have been doing so much, you know, in such a short time. Um. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, there is. I can't help but call you coach. I gotta. Call, I mean, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> that's fine. Like, if, if that's okay with you, like, that's I, okay. like, that's it's a, okay yeah, with whatever you. Whatever feels good. Whatever. I, yeah, you know, I'll tell you, the re, the resistors <laughs> are, um, you know, I think people who, where Audrey started, who just haven't yet been able to be curious enough to try to understand that your individual reality is not necessarily everybody else's reality. One of the worst things, and I'm sure you, you've you heard this often, where people talk about they want to live their life and be colorblind. And, you know, what what is so, I think, deeply offensive about that for people of color is that you totally deny their lived experience. And you assume exactly. that your lived experience is true for everybody else. And I think those are the people who, have really resisted this notion of diversity. And I I often, you know, invite those people to have these conversations because I enjoy talking to them more than I do people who are already sort of on the bus and the cheerleaders because I really do want to have that conversation. Like, I really want to understand why equality would feel like oppression to you, right? Like, wh- like I really want to unpack that and, like, how could that be? And like, what is it that sort of makes you feel that way? And so what's missing from your experience that would suggest that creating notions of equity and fairness, that that somehow feels like oppressing, like you're being oppressed. Like, I really think you have to unpack that and like, you know, lean into why I feel that way. And it goes back to what we've all been taught, you know, historically in this country and I'm just a student of history, coach, and I really, you know, it challenge all of us to really go back and understand the history because we tend to nuance, we tend to romanticize history in this country. And the truth of the matter is history is far more nuanced and it's far more complex than the way it was presented to us. And I think now what's been really cool for me is to see you know, all types of people, black, white, Asian, Native American, Hispanic, male, female, everybody sort of going back and revisiting the history and really trying to come to terms with it and, you know, really start to um, assess why we weren't able to make the progress that we all feel that we should make and what's going to be different this time. And I think what I challenge people to do is to really begin to, you know, confront their own views of not only the world around them, but to confront themselves. And, you know, that's how we can all get better is really begin to be honest with ourselves about what scares you about this. And even for those who are starting to lean into it is to ask ourselves, what prevented me from leaning into it before? You know, those are the questions we've asked ourselves at the bank. It's great that we're doing all of this stuff. And it's great that we announced, you know, these these pretty huge commitments last year, these financial commitments, which I'm very proud to say we've met all of our commitments. And 
you know, we're, we're continuing to move forward on those. But I think the even deeper question is what prevented us from doing it before? And I'll tell you, in the financial services industry and banking in particular, it's coming face to face with a very ugly truth about the industry. There's a huge trust gap between communities of color and the financial services industry. And I was just saying this on a call earlier today with a reporter. It's a well-earned mistrust. Like, like the industry yeah. earned it, you know, through, you know, policies and practices that in many cases actually created the disparities that we're all trying to resolve today. So I think it's just this notion, you know, coaches, we, the, the truth is, 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 mo- is quite often very uncomfortable, but, you know, as I like to say, we don't grow from a place of comfort. You know, you only grow from a place of discomfort. That's how we all learn Right. is stepping yeah. into that uncomfortable space. You know, I've had a couple, you know, many different opportunities to enter a situation where there is a culture that's present and you're coming in with new ideas and new energy and new outlook and, and you're asking people that have been there to give you a chance, be heard, you know, be accepted. And, and in that, I've always figured that I needed to figure out who the resistors were and kind yeah. of situate them in a position knowing that they're going to have trouble and, and just asking them to just please just give us a chance by, you know, mm-hmm. holding back from fighting us, you know, yes. as, as the change happens. And it's, it's, it's so often, you know, even... It doesn't matter that it's that's even it, it, the racial issue that we're talking about because I know that just it's the change issue and yes. in essence yes. you're, you were asking people in the workplace to change something that they have been comfortable with whether Correct. it was good or not they, they, it's just there's a natural resistance to to want to hold on to what you know and yes. so it's so important that there's a, a you know that there's a feel to that, and, and Greg, obviously, you've you've found a way to communicate with people that have given them a chance to not be offended to the point where they fight so hard that yeah. they disrupt, and you know, and all that. And so they've listened long enough, which is really it's listening long enough and learning, you know, for enough time where they can start to transition to be open to accept. And that that's the great challenge that we're facing in so many areas right now. And, and the fact that you guys are able to do it and successfully make make way is really important and the story is really important mm-hmm. to you know to get to it in that as you were you could you clearly see the culture that existed just as this was beginning so that if you if you if you knew well where you were beginning because you were there you knew well where you were beginning now you could already see there are some landmines here that you were going to yes. have to you know skirt around and figure your way through to, to get going can you tell us about what that was like and and, and so that other people can hear you know your experience and what that's been like to try to navigate the the initiation of the change in your, you know, within your organization? It's a wonderful question. And I think it, it, it's a little bit um, back to what, uh, Audrey, I think you were saying before, which is the most important message I had from the very beginning, Coach, was this notion of, of authenticity. That and no matter what room I walked into, I was going to be myself. And mm. I think there was just a um, an incredible honesty with how I approached it that really resonated with people. And this notion of story, and I think through stories, which is why what you guys are doing is so important, is when you tell stories, 
and you just tell human stories that everybody can relate to, you find that people start to connect with you, even if they don't. And, and I say this to people all the time. It's not important to me that you understand, but it's important to me that you want to. It's that curiosity. I don't care if you don't if you don't understand what it is to be black, or it's not important to me that you do that you understand it. But it's important Keep that listening. you that you be curious enough to at least want to hear my perspective, as I should be with you. It's not important to me that we agree. To be honest with you, and I say that all the time in our organization, I don't really care that we agree. What I do care though is that you understand the values that we espouse as an organization. And every time you put that pin on or you jump on a Zoom call, you walk through that door, every single one of us has agreed and we are aligned with the with the purpose and the values of this organization. And I would hope by you coming to work here that your personal values and your professional values are aligned enough that you would at least sort of embrace what we're trying to get done. Yeah, Audrey, can you share with Greg just to, just because it's so important to be reinforced when you know when others we've seen so many people and, and heard that same theme about the in, in this is a, one of Audrey's favorites talking storytelling and the power of yes, that. but uh, uh, you know that the, the 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 person who is initiating or kind of responsible for the change comes across and is accepted because of your confidence in yourself and you're, yes. you're settled in your in your in your life and, and you're you're able to send a message peacefully across the yes. you know across the airways you know could could you talk about that a little Audrey that's, that's really cool yeah you know I I think that. It's so powerful for organizations, and I, you know, I know people don't bring it up a lot. Coach, it's really great that you that you bring this up as a highlighted point, because I don't think people connect the dots between storytelling and being a powerful storyteller, and how we're going to create more conversations for inclusion. Yeah, because people inherently connect and become reporters or describers. So it's like, oh, tell me about yourself. Well, I used to do this and I used to do that, or tell me what happened. And then they just start describing something. But that's describing. Telling a story is where you open up your experience. You open up your heart. You, you, you sit in the presence of your humanity. And you share with somebody in a way that while they are different than you, yeah. while they have none of the same background as you, while they before that they thought they had nothing in common with you, all of a sudden they have compassion. Yes. What's there is empathy. And we know, right, Greg, I mean, many of us know that there have literally been Harvard studies and, and, and many scientific studies that show that, the, that storytelling connects more portions of our yeah. right and left hemisphere. That when we tell stories, it's different than facts. When we tell stories, actually we start to sort of connect certain um, emotions. Yes. We start to match up certain emotions. And, and that's why it's so powerful. I think that... Um, it, it's it's a really, really important part of our process of inclusion, yeah. of finding a ways to work together. If we tell these stories, mm -hmm. rather than who's right and who's wrong, yes. <laughs> what's, what's not yes. happening, uh, reinforcing uh, these other kind of um, notions that we have. I, and I just want to add uh, to this with what Coach is talking about, with an actual story, Greg. Thank yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you. I love it. I love it. So, so one of my, one of my cl clearly a commitment of mine has been that there's incredibly diverse um, groups of people 
in storytelling and media and marketing departments. We know that there's, right, right? We know there's a disparity, like many um, positions in our companies and, and out there in the world where there is less than 7%, less than 2%, less 1%. I mean, it's really important. And I know there's so much that's going on around coding yeah. and tech to try to yeah. get more black and brown participation in yes. these skills because of the growth market. But I believe storytelling is just equally as valuable and important for us to scale the ability for a very diverse group of people to be in our media and marketing departments and our mm -hmm. outfacing and internal. And so I've taken it upon myself in, in every kind of project that I've been in with companies that I already know some of the things that are gonna come up. Like for instance, people saying, well, I pick the most qualified person. That's why we don't have any black people here. And I'm like, okay, but you have to understand that a lot of people hire people that look like them, yeah. that make them feel comfortable, that they feel they have an automatic connection with. Yes. So you're asking people, hiring managers, interviewers, to step outside of it if they're really gonna connect with somebody. So I make sure that I interview beyond the resume, I interview from the person, I have them talk about their life. I go through every link that I possibly can to say, do I see this person? Yes. Do I see what they're passionate about? And does this passion match the values and mission that we're up to and what we're out to create? Yeah. So it was interesting because I had this position and, um, and it quickly became a running joke in the company that if you're black and you want to get ahead, you better get into media because Audrey's hiring on it. was like 60% of my are. department. <laughs> That's where all the jobs were, right? And it was really interesting because we were crushing it, Greg. I mean, like we got the attention of the top investors in the world in record time. And I got called to HR and was asked to stop talking so much about diversity because I'm making people feel uncomfortable. Wow. And Four months after I left that company, there was only one <laughs> black person left in my department. I was going to say, I was going to say, department. needless to say, you left that you left that organization pretty quickly. Yeah, and yeah. and and what they said was, well, we just didn't feel like they were a fit. I think these this story is so important, and I'm sure it it resonates for you because this was a company that outwardly said we're about diversity, we champion yeah. it, and they didn't do the work internally. Yeah to yeah. have the uncomfortable conversations, you know? Yes, I do. I, I, there's so much there that, um, that I could speak to, but I, I often- Please unpack it, Greg. <laughs> no, well, there's, there's the, the last part you talked about, I think is really important because I say often that companies say they want diversity, but what they really want is assimilation. And there's a huge difference. It's one thing to say that you want diversity, but you want everyone to come into the organization and assimilate and act just like the boss and think like the boss and agree with the boss all the time. And so that's a fundamental mistake that companies want. Um, you don't want assimilation. You want inclusion. You want space where people who are contributing, you know, and, you know, you, you had talked about something earlier about, you know, companies who hire and say, we don't we just want to hire the best person? Well, of course you do. But what we've been doing is we've been fishing in the same pond thinking that we're getting the best mm -hmm. talent. It's like, it, it would be like, coach, if you, every draft that came around, you only drafted from one school and you said, I want the best talent. Yeah, but you're only, but you're limiting, you know, the, the sure. pool of talent. And what you have to do is you have to expand 
you, you have to cast a broader net so that you do get the best person. And when people ask me, don't we want to hire the best person? My response is, that's exactly right. That's exactly why you want to have a diversity initiative is because you right. do want the best talent and you're not getting that right now. Um, the other point, Audrey, I thought that was really important. You talked about that, you know, storytelling. I think about storytelling and the reason it's so powerfully effective is because storytelling is oftentimes an invitation. Hmm. Like when you're telling somebody a story, you're actually inviting them into, into your world, into your space, into your humanity, as you talked about earlier. And that's why I think it's so powerful. And even as a diversity practitioner, I, we don't even talk about diversity training. Like I don't talk about diversity. I'm a chief diversity officer. I don't even want to go to a diversity training. Like it's like, like who wants to go to a diversity? I training? cannot underline that enough, Greg. <laughs> but what we do say to people is, come learn with me. Yeah, that's a very different invitation. You know, if you say to somebody, "Come learn with me," even the most skeptical person that coach that you brought up earlier, even the most skeptical person will say, "Okay, cool. What are we gonna learn?" Like, you're going to at least get a response like, well, what are we going to learn together? And I think we have to have those conversations, which is, you know, it's essentially the carrot and stick thing, right? It's if we can create more invitations, which I think stories do, and think about this entire journey, which I do think it is. I think we are, I think we're often too focused on the destination and not focused mm -hmm. enough on the journey. And I think if we can get people to take that first step by saying, hey, I want you to come learn with me, that's how you get people to sort of lean into it and be a little bit more curious. You know, one of the things that, that uh, it's, has come up in our recent talks, and, and I, I hear here there's a, there's a point where, you know, executives would say, well, you know, this is just a better fit for us, or this person seems to have the qualifications. Well, that's that's because of a lacking of understanding yes. of the value of people of different perspective Correct. and people of different experience. And, and to, to not have the experience, the experiences that go so far beyond yes. the, the regular white person that you might hire that, that brings you so much more richness uh, and, and, and perspective that is a value that maybe we don't even know how to equate right now. Yes. You know, and, and white people don't know how to equate that to the point where they would go, I need that person because of where they come from so yes. that we can hear their viewpoint and what, what has affected their lives and what they've experienced. And that will help me connect and reach more clearly and more you know more accurately into the people that we're doing business with that's rather than the the people that I can see can I understand where they come from I get it you know I know yeah. their background or whatever that makes more sense I feel very comfortable with that well it's because they don't have the the, the appreciation that's necessary. So there, that's what we're talking about. That is learning, or that is, or it's it's visionaries. It's yes. a person who is like your guy Andy, who hired you to put you in position because he needed help. Yes. And he recognized he needed help in seeing things differently than he's accustomed to seeing. And I'm sure that's why this has happened. That's why you're. That's why we get to talk to you because you're kicking butt yeah. and you're doing great <laughs> well, stuff. And you, you know. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that, but I you know I think in this work you never think about it in in that context because there's so much to be done, and I think 
What's critical, my, my fault? I'm a ball coach. Yeah, yeah. So you, <laughs> I'm a yes. ball coach. My, yeah, my we're, bad. <laughs> we're, we're doing some things right. We're doing some things right. I would agree with you there. Sure. Yes, yes but, you are. But but I think the the important point to make there is that you do have to put in place systems of accountability, and I think transparency is the mega trend in this space, and that's mm-hmm. what's going to hold people accountable is to results, coach. And I think for us, the next phase of the work for us is. We're actually in the process of interviewing a number of companies um, who are going to help us measure outcomes. And, you know, too many companies are focused on activities and they're not really focused on is is any of this stuff actually making a difference, right? All the headlines are great. Like we can all publish headlines with big dollar amounts attached to them. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're not helping real people in really meaningful ways, none of it matters, None of it matters. So for us, it's really taking a disciplined approach around and having a third-party company come in and tell us how are we going to measure the work that we're doing and how are the things that we are um, actually putting out there changing the lives of real people? What are the outcomes? Are we increasing jobs? Are we closing wealth disparities? Are we driving down crime rates? Are we helping more people move into home ownership? All of these things that we know build wealth because at the end of the day, what I think and what we as an organization believe is our place in space, um, because we're a bank, we're not experts in social justice policy. We're not experts in that. But what we are experts in is financial management and economics and finance. And if we apply our core competency to some of these issues, we can actually close wealth disparities, which I think are at the core of yep. so many of our issues in society. It's just these, it's, it's the lack of economic mobility and economic inclusion. Um, so that's one of the things I think that's really important for us is this notion of um, being very transparent about how we're doing and how we hold ourselves accountable. Greg, I would also say that your 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 company sounds to me, tell me if this is accurate, that you're not a department. Correct. You're a company-wide dialogue. Yes. And and I think that's something that I hear a lot. Even Pete, I won't say the name of the company, but I would be not having a conversation with a company and they were like, oh, you guys are about humanity and inclusion. Okay, we should connect you with our diversity department. And I'm like, why wouldn't we talk to the whole company? I mean, (laughs) this is a company-wide dialogue. It's a worldwide human conversation. Now, I understand people have titles and you need to know who to cut the check to or or where to manage the time and all that. But do you feel that that from the the coming out of the gate of it and your partnership with and collaboration with the CEO, do you feel like that is the first step that you guys took, contextually speaking, yeah. that really gave you a place to stand, that we're not gonna have this be this dark department over here that gives you its reports. This is a, I mean, obviously, by connecting with the CEO and having a direct line to him, that's the commitment here. Yeah, diversity and inclusion can't be the sole responsibility of the diversity and inclusion team. In, 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 in much the right. same way that you wouldn't leave strategy or innovation only to the strategy and the innovation teams. (laughs) Like we all need to be strategic. We all need to be innovative. We all need to manage. And this is the same, this is no different. 
And, you know, Audrey, you're spot on in that, you know, as you talk to other companies, the one thing to look for is how are they operationalizing this? How is the leaders of every business line implementing this as part of their business strategy? What we've done is we've created a system of measurement where all of our leaders, all of us on the managing committee, has a diversity and inclusion scorecard that is part of our performance review. So when our CEO sits down with all of his direct reports, you know, he's talking about financial results, he's talking about DEI results, and all of these things contribute to your performance evaluation. So as a leader, you're thinking about how am I going to drive this in my organization? Because now I'm accountable for this. And I've got to figure out how to leverage my business and how I'm going to hold my leaders accountable to this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And how does it become a core competency? So we also put it on the performance evaluation of every single person in our organization. Managing inclusion is on everybody's performance review. Everyone. And so it's not a conversation with the diversity, equity, and inclusion team. It's a conversation nice. with leaders of people. Greg, is it going to the where you mentioned earlier about uh, proving results uh, as well to, to support? Because it's one thing, okay, we've hired this many you know, minority groups yeah. to support this this aspect of it. But that's not really the, the idea that no. for the, the business aspect of it, you want to hire people that are going to be effective and make a difference. And, and we, we'd like to show results and all of that. In the, I'm just curious if you could, in the, the early evaluations, do people, are they looking at how many people you've hired or are they looking at how many people have you, you've acquired as new, uh, you know, participants in working with the bank? You know, are you getting more clients, you know? Yes. And that, that's the, um, that it's the perfect question because it has to begin with the, the talent strategy always supports the business strategy, right? And, and I'll say it this way. When we announced our access commitment back in February, one of the things we talked about, and it's all about building wealth in black communities and, and closing wealth disparities. There are two aspects um, to that program that I think are important here. It's called the access commitment. There's a huge disparity in, in household wealth in this country, 10 to 1 right. ratio, right? There's also a huge disparity in home ownership, which is, if not the, one of the primary ways that wealth gets transferred in this country is through home ownership from generation to generation. If we are going to move more black people into home ownership in this, in, in this country, well, guess what? We got to have more black loan officers, right. <laughs> people who mm -hmm. understand, who have the lived experience, who understand the hurdles, who understand how to help people navigate, you know, the paperwork that's required, people who live in the neighborhood, who help close the trust gap. One of the other programs we're doing is we're actually within our wealth management area, building out a black wealth practice. How do we remove barriers to financial advice um, for, for black people in this country? And one of the first things our head of wealth management said was, hey, we're going to need more black financial advisors. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so That's you don't point, yeah. so you don't start with the prem you don't start with, I need to hire more black financial advisors. You start with what is the business objective? The business objective is supported by a talent strategy. And so the short answer to your question, Coach, is that the what you want to change is you want to change behaviors. 
If you change the behavior, that's what changes the numbers on the scorecard. You can't focus on how do I move the hiring number from X to Y. You start with what is the behavior I need my leaders of people to exhibit. And if they do those things, if they do these behaviors, the numbers will automatically change. Yeah. Is there, is, do you think the, there's, a, I would guess there's an emerging new science to this, uh, to some extent in, in business that, you know, if what is available and what is out there for us, if we look at things differently and look at things in, in a way that gives everybody a chance, you yes. know, and it gives everybody the opportunity and, and, and where does that take us? And, and uh, I would think that we might be a little bit, you know, dragging our feet here a little bit in the past, you know, that people don't even have a clue to even ask those questions. You yes. know, there's a huge opportunity for business to create, to be created here that people of, of insight and, and like yourself and that have experience. Now you have position and you're, you're, you know, you're, you, you've got some punch here, you know, you yes. can really d- generate the change. I'm, I, again, I, I applaud you because I know you're getting this done in a huge company. So it's, it's wonderful that it's happening. Can I add to what Coach was saying to expand on it, because we'd love to hear this, is, you know, we we had a couple of our guests, Neil deGrasse Tyson and um, Angela Duckworth, the writer of Grit. And in both occasions, we were discussing with them measuring the values or the human expressions that don't typically get focused on in performance, like measuring caring, measuring empathy, measuring compassion, measuring, you know, the degree in which you're going to really listen to somebody. And especially Angela, since she has what's called a character lab, she's like, you know, we've done research on humility and the impact that it has. We've done the research on these qualities that haven't in business, that haven't in performance, gotten the same as let's say grit, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Perseverance, tenacity, being a result producer. I, I think I just wanted to highlight that because it's a bit of what I believe, if I'm accurate, I'm hearing about what you're looking at. And 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 Coach and I have had uh, quite a few conversations with our guests around leadership and the yes. sort of change of guard of leadership, if you will. And, and we really believe that while, of course, you know, everyone be self-generative, everyone connect. It's not about waiting for someone to, you know, tell you what to do or enforce what to do. But I still do think there is a passing of the torch or a paradigm shift, if you will, of leadership. And would love to hear more about, like, what is the discussion and your approach and your insight into that, that the outcome being a natural inherent culture. Yeah, I don't think there's any question, Audrey, that there's a um, there's a change happening, and I and in in business in particular, and what leadership, uh, what's expected of leaders, and I think this notion, as you talked about, it, of compassion and empathy, and in in many ways, I think you know one of my favorite words right now is just this notion of grace, and mm. people having much more grace in the workplace. Um, that I think that's what's being rewarded, and I don't. But I'll tell you who I give credit for that, and I give credit to that to um, to customers and communities and stakeholders who are asking more of business these days. Because to your point, where we used to look to for leadership in this country, I think has changed, and I think we used to place a great deal of um, the responsibility for leaders on elected officials and you know, even the spiritual community in some respects right. and and places like that. And I think to some respects we still do, but I think 
more often now you find that people are looking to business and business leaders for that type of leadership to lead on social issues, um, to take more of a stance on political issues in many cases. Um, you look at what's happening on voting rights right now and how many companies um, felt compelled and some felt pressured and to actually say something publicly. And I think our society, and, and rightfully so, this generation has um, is holding business leaders' feet to the fire um, in ways that we that are unprecedented because there's been a general lack of leadership in some respects in this country. And I think business is starting to fill a little bit of that void. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really interesting point. And you know, I, I, as you're talking, Greg, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, there, there, there is likely a, a real emergence here of people who are feeling the, the will, the want to, to do the right thing and, yeah. and to connect with the right, kind of the right approaches and the philosophy that feels better to them about doing the right, making right choices and all, where we, we're, we're so polarized right now. And it seems like, oh, gosh, yes. we're getting overrun by, a, by a, a, you know, all of, just say, take the voting rights issue that, that is so representative. You know, I, I, I can't help but think that, that uh, by continuing to do the right thing and coming from the right place and representing the right mentality and caring about people in in, in obvious ways and making that it, the fact that it's okay to care and yeah. and looking for the opportunity to do that is going to bring us um, the kinds of numbers that are going to overwhelm the, yes. the the other side of things and I, I think we're I think I, I'm like to think that and that it's we're going to see a, a surge here in the next couple of years of people that are they're coming out of the woodwork to do the right thing just because they instinctively know that that's the case and so that means that we're even with voting rights maybe maybe we can't stop the process from happening but the numbers will outweigh it anyway because it's it's called upon to do the right thing but for so many you know and I, i'd like to think that anyway i don't want that to be just you know airy fairy thinking but i think it's i think there's a real possibility there that it's going to generate a great mo- movement just like it did in, in georgia you know we saw it in georgia that the, the right thing happened down there against odds that people would never have predicted a couple of years back I think that's just an indication, you know, and Stacey Abrams doing her thing and, yes. and making sure that people realize, you know, we can activate and we, we can turn the tide yes. towards looking after people and making the right judgments and, and giving us a chance to grow and, and do, you know, good things. And so uh, I, I think that I'm sure that that's what your company feels in you. I, I bet you, Greg, that they can sense that that's what you stand for. That's what they feel. And, and you're getting you're getting listeners and you're getting following and you're getting results. And it's, it's really, it's exciting to see it happening. Well, well, thank you for that. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I I think there's enough people who understand that, you know, issues of, of inequality and, and, and uh, injustice is bad for all of us. You know, Mm. none of us are free when there is inequality and injustice happening. And I think, there are enough people who, you know, as we begin to get to, you know, being in person and being in community with each other, that enough people will begin to understand and I think approach um, and approach it differently um, this time. And I'm I'm as hopeful as you are that, you know, as we talk about it in our in our context in banking, like it inequality is bad for business. Mm-hmm. In addition to it, yeah. in addition to it just being wrong, you know, on so many levels. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. we can start with that, 
you know, but even those right. people who are even those people who are hardened to believe that, you know, why are we continuing to talk about this? Even those people have to, you know, at, at some level come to terms with the fact that this is bad for everybody. The racial wealth gap affects every single one of us as Americans. It's not a black or a white issue. It's an American issue. We all right. suffer when communities suffer. And even though you may drive by those communities on your way you know, home, it's still your community. It's still your community. Indirectly, if there is poverty and despair and, and a lack of vitality in communities in our, in our cities, even if you don't live in that community, it affects you. And I think more people are starting to understand that in this notion of you know, shared humanity and shared experience. I think if COVID did nothing, I think it made us sort of reevaluate and think very hard about why are we here? Like, why are you here? Like, I mean, really, why are you here? In, in, mm -hmm. in, in both here and now and in the larger context. <laughs> right. What is one of the ways, I'm interested because I know that in a lot of company cultures, not for the, like Pete uh, talked about earlier, like there's going to be your resistors and having to have those conversations. And that's kind of a, a clear a group of people within cultures that that happens. But there are a large uh, group of people that are just like, yeah, I'm on the side of this. Of course, I think things should be fair. I think they should be inclusive. However, and I'm speaking mainly about uh, in terms of like white employees or in culture where they're like, however, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing now yes what if i come across the wrong yes, way I love and this. now even right even your well-meaning i'm a total commitment to this feel suppressed yes what how have you approached that what have you guys done what tools are you giving them because i, I love get this that. question i totally get that i love this question um you know what's audrey the way the way we've approached it is you have to make sure that everybody knows inclusion means everybody. Nobody's left behind. This work is not about creating favor for anybody. It's about creating parity. And so we have to, I used the word earlier, grace. You have to provide grace and, and be very intentional about creating conditions where there's grace, which allows people to make mistakes which says, and we say it all the time, we have these, what we call courageous conversations where the CEO and I will have a company-wide, you know, call with all employees and we'll talk about, you know, Asian hate or George Floyd or the issues of India, the COVID uh, impact in India. And we talk all the time about, it's not about getting it right all the time. We're gonna make mistakes. Give yourself permission to make some mistakes. I guarantee you, yes. we're gonna say the wrong thing sometime. We're gonna do the wrong thing sometime. It's gonna happen, I guarantee you. But when we're all committed to each other and we, when we have each other's back, I'm gonna let you know you said the wrong thing with a great deal of grace, Audrey. I'm gonna say, hey, I really wish you hadn't said it that way. Like I really wish, and because we have trust, right? No healthy relationship, I don't care if it's personal, professional, no healthy relationship can exist without trust. None. It's not possible. Yes. But if yes. we trust each other, I can say to you, hey, I wish you had said that differently or what you said bothered me. And you can go, oh, my God, like, Greg, I really didn't mean to offend you. You know, you're my boy. 
I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. <laughs> you know, you're my boy, and I'm like, yeah, I know. Right. Which is why I took I took it the wrong way. Which is why I'm bringing it to you, and you can go, oh my god, I'm sorry. Look, I didn't mean it that way, and I go, okay, I know you didn't, and we can move on. And so what we talk about, Audrey, is like we have to trust one another, and we have to trust good mm. intent. My favorite word right now is intentionality. Ugh, I love if that. If I know what you intended, what you said is really not all that important because I know what was in your heart and know what you intended. And so we talk about intentionality, which gives us permission to say the wrong thing and do the right thing and do the wrong thing sometime, but to move past it. We have a, a good friend that um, that we did also got a chance to interview, Dr. Harry Edwards, who's one of the great you know, activists and sociologists of all time. We, he was here visiting with our players. We, were, oh, we yeah. had him in yeah. to talk about Black Lives Matter at, when it first happened a few years back, it first came about. And uh, in... He, and he, we were talking about these kinds of situations and these kinds of conversations and where if you don't allow for the mistakes to happen, then people won't allow the vulnerability to take place that's necessary to get to the real stuff. He said, here's the rule. He said, you just got to give a brother some slack and you got to let him know that it's okay. You know, it's going to happen. You're going to say the wrong thing, trying to say the right thing with, with the <laughs> proper intentionality. Exactly. You, you just got to give a brother some slack. And, and so that allows you that you're going to screw up but we get it, and, and as you're trying to figure out the right words to say, I mean, I need that help so much. I need my guys to give me slack all the time, you know. And uh, it's 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 a rule that gives you some freedom that's necessary if you want to be in these conversations that are first time conversations. Otherwise, you just clam up and you don't say anything, and you don't go anywhere because of that. So there are some there are some ground rules, you know. And and Dr. Edwards, he he was real clear about that. And I really believe that culture, a lot of what dismantles or creates a non-thriving culture are really an accumulation of paper cuts. It's, it's, it's rarely one big massive thing that happened. It's a lot of little things that, that didn't have the access to say, just like you said, hey, you know what, that didn't really work for me. Let me just tell you how it would have been better to talk to me about that. And that's a, that seems like a small thing, but it, in the long run, 12 of those, you know, 14 of those over a few weeks, and now there's distance in the department. There's distance. And, and it happens that quick in a nanosecond. We have affinity, and the next millisecond, there's no affinity between you and I. And, and, and then what happens is, is that employee walks in one day and says, I'm leaving the company. That's right. And, and the leader goes, oh, my God, like, where is this coming from? Like, I had no idea. I thought exactly. you were so happy, and you're doing so well. And meanwhile, there was no communication or conversation that ever happened. There was no trust ever built. And you can't always expect that every, you know, employee feels or not every leader creates the condition where those conversations feel safe, you know, where it feels emotionally safe to actually bring it up. And that's all part of culture, which you mentioned, like you, you have to create those conditions that, you know, allow even the introverts or those who that's right you know, who are a little bit skeptical, feel safe enough. Uh, we call it a speak up culture. We talk about it at U.S. Bank is mm. we have a speak up culture. Like we actually want you to bring those issues forward, good and bad. And we deal with the consequences and we provide hotline and resources for employees to, you know, either declare it publicly or to anonym- anonymously raise issues um, so that there's always an avenue to do that. 
I'd love for you, Coach, to tell them about how you have your Mondays and Tuesdays and your th and that they have a name for them and a, a system in which you keep the culture alive and communicative. Yeah, well, we, I think I was just talking about Tell the Truth Monday. You know, we come back in after, <laughs> after, after game, you know, after a weekend game, you know, we, we come yeah. back and get everybody uh, an opportunity to get on the same page. It's an accountability meeting, really, in, as much as anything, but it's also to get us on where we see things and the results in the same fashion so that we can move ahead together as yeah. we take on the next set of challenges, you know. And th those meetings, plus, the, plus whenever... Uh, and I, I've heard you say this, and I, I don't know if you do it exactly like this, but allowing and creating a, a, an environment where people can share their stories and mm -hmm. actually give them the time where they get to speak out and talk their way through what is going on in their world has been so so uh, refreshingly opening to, to so many people. It's just to hear somebody make themselves vulnerable enough to tell their, their story, yes. but then the other people around get to appreciate. And that that process in itself, it had, it's not about the stories. It's about the, the openness and the vulnerability that makes such a difference. You know, like we know Brene Brown has talked so much about that. She's on it. And it's, it's so empowering. And, and uh, so that, that's, that comes through our process. And then we get all the way to, you know, the night before the game that we're, we're talking some serious stuff now. And it isn't about the football. You know, right. it's about right. the people. It's about right. the challenge. It's about uh, the camaraderie. It's about the, 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 yes. the teamwork. It's about all of the, the elements that, that bring about the brotherhood that really allows you to connect in the ways that that make a difference you know and allow you to make a difference can i ask you greg if you were gonna offer to people who haven't maybe been as fortunate as you have been to take over and to be in and be in the in the really in the throes of this this kind of new culturing um, what would you share with other people what would you want them to hear from your experience that would be important or, or what's most important for you to convey to other people who would like to be able to do what you're doing? I think, you know, Coach, I think what has been um, really powerful for me is to, is to think about why, you, why it's important to you, whether it's a leader or if you can't speak to why, like when people ask me all the time, well, what are the, you know, leaders will say, well, what is the one or two things that I can do to advance DEI? And the first thing I always say to them is ask yourself why you're doing it. What is really your motivation? Mm. What is it that makes you want to do it? Is it because it's part of your compensation? Is it because you're trying to impress your boss? Or do you really want to you know, go on this journey that is at times going to make you feel inadequate, is at times going to make you feel uncomfortable. You know, as leaders, Coach, you know this really well, as leaders, we're, we're so hardwired to always have the answers and to show up as the teacher. It's hard when you're an A-type to show up as a student. That's hard. Like, that's a difficult place to be. And in order to do this work, you have to be willing to show up as the student sometimes and admit and admit you what you don't know, and you use the word, which I loved, you use the word vulnerability. And I think for every leader, if they can embrace this notion of being vulnerable and being able to share that vulnerability, with, it disarms everybody else. Right. It makes you more human, it, it makes you more accessible, it puts you in proximity with those that you're trying to influence. And so I, I would start, Coach, with really 
um, asking people to answer the question, why is it I want to do this? And what is my motivation? Because then the what you need to do next becomes much clearer when you first answered why. Yeah, that's that really that it rings true that that's that's a big part of the essence is just get it what it feel get to what it feels like. Yes. You know, allow them to uh, to hear you try to express yourself whether you're eloquent or not. Right. If I've always said if they can feel the energy that that's coming in in the authenticity that you mentioned earlier that comes from you it isn't really about the words it's really about the feeling that you convey. Yes. And they'll and that that is what allows people to move and say okay, you know, I can and that's that is it, allowing yourself to put yourself in a vulnerable situation, you know, and but that's really where the power comes. I'm, I'm sure that you, you guys have understood that it would, that's hard for people to do. They don't get that. That's and, and, really yeah, hard. Difficult. And that's really yeah. difficult for for bankers. Because <laughs> 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 wow. bankers, well, we threw bankers under the bus right there, Greg. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. But I, I'm an accidental banker, coach. Just so you know, like I, you know. Um, but it, but it is because bankers are inherently very conservative and very quantitative and right, they want right. things and, you know, what's the data and what's the, but I think that's been the great pivot for us as an organization is to, is to ask people to start with the why, not the what. And, you know, and, and I think that's been really, really useful for a lot of people. Um, not easy, but uh, it's been really useful for us. Yeah, I, I I think that's why your your story, Greg, is so so powerful. You know yeah. that you are in banking. You know, and people yeah. are like, oh, wait a minute, this is about numbers yeah. and and accounts and things like that. But no, it's way way more than that. And you're connecting with the community in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And as, as you endeavor to improve the opportunities for for wealth equity and and try to figure out how to help, you know, help your communities grow together and and prosper and all that. Golly, I mean, it's really a big deal. And and uh, thank you, thank you so much for coming and talking with yes. us and, and giving us a chance to it's get a, insights into your world. And man, we're we're fired up for you and congratulate you on what you've accomplished. But yet, I know you got a big big job lays ahead still. I'm sure. Yeah, well, it was it was definitely my pleasure. And anytime, I really appreciate the the opportunity to talk about DEI. I could talk about DEI and equity and fairness and and all of that all day so yeah, i really appreciate it. i'm honored to have the opportunity love it i appreciate thank you that so too. much thank you greg thank you guys Good so luck. much bye audrey bye coach thank you so much bye bye okay bye-bye that was amazing what a sweet soul gosh i i mean i just was sitting there the whole time as he was talking and i'm like i'm talking to somebody in banking this is unbelievable <laughs> yeah yeah, well, that's just our limitations. You know, we don't. It seems like how could they ever get on these topics and all? But they're human beings living in a in a in a world, a culture of their own, and they've got to function. Like I always know that, that there's a culture, whether you want to admit it or not. And so, if you want it to be a good culture, you got to work at it. You know, you got to go to work. And, and uh, Greg and his his boss, we called him Andy. You know, they've obviously figured out that there's there's a lot of improvement out there for them, and and uh, and connecting with people in in unique, special ways and different than they have in the past um, is going to create a real positive effect. And boy, I couldn't I couldn't be more fired up to hear that, uh, banking or otherwise. Who you know who cares? Yeah, they're exactly. they're helping people. And think about think about Audrey how they directly have the opportunity to affect this whole challenge to, to mm-hmm. wealth equity. You know, and, and in their community, that 
it's just think if and it's not only about black people it's about poverty it's about people that don't have the means if they can find ways to create opportunities where where wealth can be shared more so uh, there it's going to affect their entire community and that's that's a that's a that's a great endeavor and uh, more power to them you know yeah, and it goes back to you know something that we were talking about the other day, and oh, just this morning with uh, with talking to um, Glennon and Abby about listening. Mm-hmm. His CEO was like, "Hey, listen, I'm not going to just have you connect with our HR department. You're going to talk directly to me, but let's start this whole thing off by I just want to listen. Tell me what you think, what we should do, what is your experience." That. That one act right there seems kind of obvious, but I, you and I both know so many CEOs, so many companies don't just do that one thing. It's hard. It's hard. You know, in, you know, Greg talked about it. It's hard for people. It, they haven't been there before, so they and it's it's a necessary step for growth is to open up enough to so that you'll listen to the people around you and 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 to admit that you don't have the answers and be willing to take maybe new suggestions and make them answers that you wouldn't have done otherwise. You know, and yeah. that empowers the people around you, and then now where the exchange is happening, and and there's a it, it creates a whole new energy. You know, and that's. That's how you develop culture, you know. You, that's you affect the the way people feel about coming to work and what it feels like to be there and all that. It's a really, really exciting, uh, exciting illustration of that. Well, yeah. Thanks. When I said when we started off, and I said, uh, you know, we're inspired to talk to you, uh, it completely fulfilled that because I was <laughs> yeah. I was totally an ins- what an inspiring man. Yeah. And and the company and what they're doing completely inspired by that conversation. Yeah, you know, uh, Resma talks. Resma Menicum uh, talks about being settled and the effect of people mm. that are that are that can come across and be settled. And uh, I came across that in the finishing up his his book. It was, it's so clear that when people can sense, you know, that that the leadership is settled, and that's his way of is explaining, you know, comfortable right. in their own skin and all that. I mean, this this Greg came across like that. He he's. You know, he kind of disarmed us right from the beginning. This right. guy's going to have a tremendous impact. I think he comes across exactly like Gresma was talking about. Thank you for listening to Amplify Voices. Make sure to subscribe or follow our podcasts so that you don't miss any of our real conversations from the heart. Also, if you like what you've heard, please don't forget to leave us a review or a rating. To keep the conversation going between episodes, visit the Amplify Voices YouTube channel for extras and behind-the-scenes content. See you the next time on Amplify Voices.